Hello, everyone. Who the heck is this? It's Randy Dakovich, who's filling in for Simon Howell this week on the Sorted Cinema Podcast. Don't worry, you're in the right place. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about the latest Marvel film, Spider-Man No Way Home. We're gonna, we got a lot of people here, a lot of stuff to talk about, so we'll be right back. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happened. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sorted Cinema Podcast. First, uh, like I said, we have a lot of voices here, so let me introduce everyone. First, the uh, regular co-host of the show, uh, Ricky D. Hey, Ricky. What's up, Randy? Just for listeners to know, Simon's taking some time off during the holiday because he's visiting his mom, so therefore he will not be on this podcast um, also joining us, Mark Kalaroth, games editor at Goomba Stomp and host of the NX Express podcast. Mark, how are you? I am good. Thanks for having me after I uh, was supposed to be in two other episodes, but wasn't able to for you guys. <laughs> uh, also joining us in the fourth chair this week, uh, David Harris, Marvel fan. And from what I have been told, the master of the Canadian Comic-Con. How are you, my friend? I'm very good. It's it's also very great to be here and excited to talk about this movie all right so um as you know i am randy dankovich i'm a writer at goombastomp i am the person behind process media and the host of mid-season replacements podcast that is to say that we are we're crossing over guys not only are we crossing over podcasts but we are crossing film franchises we are crossing decades we are crossing eras of new york where you could watch a marvel movie and see the twin towers in the background so there's a lot, a lot of ground to cover here, um, but the film we're talking about today, Spider-Man No Way Home, it's the third film of the, what I guess people would call the MCU trilogy of Spider-Man films. I think I'm using all of the language correctly, but if I am not, please stop and correct me. Um, so, Spider-Man No Way Home, a movie where all the Spider-Man come together, all the podcast hosts come together to talk about it. I guess before we jump into it, it would be good to have everyone's background in, I guess, Spider-Man in the MCU. Are you a, are you an MCU person? Are you not? Are you agnostic? <laughs> I, I always like to ask this question on podcasts. I like to ask people how they feel about things. So, Mark, how do you feel about Spider-Man? Uh, so, I grew up with the original Tobey Maguire trilogy. And I loved all of them growing up. Over time, I've kind of had a mixed relationship with the third one. I still think it's an all right film. But uh, yeah, there's that. And then uh, with The Amazing Spider-Man, I absolutely despise the uh, the second one. But I actually really love the first um, Andrew Garfield film. And then with uh, Tom Holland, 
I really enjoy all three of them. There's really not much else to say. And David, how about you? Are you uh, are you a Spider-Man fan through and through, or oh, did you come I, to the series more recently? Oh, absolutely, big Spider-Man fan all the way through. I used to watch the cartoons, like the old one from I think it was the '60s back then. Then the Amazing Sp- and then the '90s Spider-Man cartoon, which was uh, for a lot of people of my generation's, you know, intro. I enjoyed the Tobey Maguire ones, had some, uh, but I enjoy them a lot more now. Saw potential with the second one and with the th- and the second uh, iteration with Andrew Garfield and with the Tom Holland one. I just absolutely love them. And Ricky, I think I know the answer here, but you've got a pretty long lineage with Spider-Man in, in his many forms, both print and visual. I do have thousands of Spider-Man comic books in my closet, and uh, I do love the character. He is by far my um, favorite superhero, and Peter Parker is one of my favorite characters from Marvel Comics, I think the Sam Raimi movies are far better than what we get with Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield, uh, specifically Spider-Man 2, which I think is one of the five greatest comic book movies ever made, or at least one of the five greatest superhero movies ever made. I do like Tom Holland. I'm a huge fan of director John Watts, who I just so happened to meet at the Fantasia Film Festival before it was officially announced that he was making Spider-Man. Or I think they just announced it. Were you there, David? I for um, Cop Car. No, I don't think so. He was there with Kevin Bacon, and it was the world premiere, I think, of Cop Car. And so when it got down to the Q and A, instead of people asking him questions about Cop Car, everybody was asking him questions about Spider Man. So I uh, I do really really love. Um, those original three films even the third film i know the sam raimi third film is a complete mess but i still think it's a masterpiece when you compare it to the amazing spider-man 2 you're right mark that movie is bad the first spider-man movie it's not as bad as people like to say it is but you know i do have my problems with the actual villain the lizard dr connor's is Mm -hmm. should have been a way better more interesting character yeah uh the thing we're going to talk about this shortly and i'm sure randy's going to agree with me Every time we do one of these Marvel podcast reviews, we always complain and bitch about the fact that these movies don't really feel like they're interested in having like a self-contained story where if you haven't watched the previous like 10 movies, you will be lost. And I think that applies more so to the Tom Holland movies than any of the Marvel movies. For example, I went back and I watched the two previous films on Netflix, right? And so I started watching Homecoming and it was so confused because I was like, wait, is this is this the first movie? Because like they, it really jumps in like Peter Parker is already Spider-Man. He's in a limo with uh, Tony Stark. He's maybe possibly going to be one of the Avengers. And no, that's how the movie starts. And what's weird about this movie that we're going to talk about today is I, I do not understand how director John Watts, made one of the most entertaining, if not the most entertaining movie I watched all year long. And yet it has one of the worst screenplays. Like the actual story, it's 90% fan service, which is not a bad thing, but like 90% of this movie is fan service. And it does more so for the Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man characters than it actually does for a Tom Holland Spider-Man character. Uh, and I hate it when you use magic in movies, and we're going to talk about this, because it's such a cop-out. Like, none of this makes sense. Like, this movie does not make any sense, but it doesn't have to make sense because they just use the word magic, and they can just forget about all sorts of, like, problematic 
plot holes. And I don't know, like I have mixed feelings about this movie, but I will say that I enjoyed the fuck out of it. <laughs> like it was so fun to watch it on the big screen. But again, most of the enjoyment came because of Tommy McGuire and Andrew Garfield, not so much because of this specific movie or Tom Holland, if that makes any sense. So I think you touch on, uh, as, you, as you are wont to do, you have a number of great points about many things, but there's one thing that sticks out to me in particular that I think is a good segue into us thinking about, because I think it's hard to think about this movie both in and of itself or as part of this trilogy or as part of the larger MCU as a whole without thinking of how we got here. And you kind of touched on that, Ricky, when you said that Homecoming begins and we're kind of already in the middle of the story of Spider-Man. I think one of the, the, the most important differences between, you know, Raimi's Spider-Man films, you can, to a degree, the Garfield Spider-Mans and this Spider-Man film is that Spider-Man is introduced as the main character of the Spider-Man story at the beginning of Spider-Man. You meet Spider-Man, hey, that's Peter Parker, he's the main character. This version of Peter Parker was introduced in Marvel's Civil War. So I think from the get-go, the priority of, you know, this overall cinematic universe, which must churn and churn, is that Tom Holland's Peter Parker was never going to be the main character of his own trilogy. And I think this this film is probably the clearest manifestation of that. I think if any of the three are really his own film, it's it's probably the second one. But, you know, we could we could probably talk about how you know, Tom Holland gets completely upended by a masterful Jake Gyllenhaal performance, probably a podcast for another day, yep. but we're so on the same page. And that's not, you can't, you can't really fault Jake Gyllenhaal for being such a great actor and overshadowing Tom Holland's performance, but you're, you're not wrong. Like, and again, I do love Spider-Man No Way, No Way Home. And we're going to talk about all the reasons why I do love it, but I do kind of feel like those original movies were movies about Spider-Man. And I was talking to Simon off air about this. And I was like, I don't even think we should be reviewing Marvel movies in the traditional sense of how you review movies anymore, because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is designed and produced like a TV show. And it's an episode. But in this movie, in this trilogy, I feel like what Sam Raimi accomplished in one movie, it took John Watts three movies to do, because this really only becomes an origin story by the third film, this film, when we actually get to see Aunt May die and she delivers the famous monologue only this time verbatim from the comic book. You know, like 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 the thing about this Peter Parker is that he's a little too, like he, he goes through his hardships and you know, there's a whole like blip and Tony Stark thing, but that felt like it was more about the universe and not about Peter Parker and his life. Whereas like the Tobey Maguire movies, like it's about him going to college, him getting his first job, him trying to pay the rent, him trying to get a girlfriend, him feeling awkward around girls, him getting bullied in in school, him dealing with his uncle Ben dying, things that we can really relate to. This trilogy opens with a teenage boy riding in a limousine with a billionaire, Tony Stark. I can't relate to that. So that's why I feel like it's it's I have mixed feelings about this trilogy, although I do like it but I can't ever agree with anyone that says it's better than the Sam Raimi trilogy. To be fair, Rick, you're not a wall crawling can shoot webs out of your hands either. I think the, the whole Tony Stark aspect is a bit, um, 
you know, I, I feel like that's actually necessary. And I really like this interpretation of Spider-Man. And I'm actually really glad that they didn't do, you know, how many times are we going to see Uncle Ben get shot? Like, I know it's a big deal for Spider-Man as a whole, but I just feel like they can't keep doing the same thing. And that's but right. They, Amazing Spider-Man kind of spoiler. Suffered. They do the same thing. They kind of do. Yeah. At the end. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, gotcha. don't you find that's weird about it? Like we get to the third film and it's exactly what they, they basically given us the exact same template as that first movie, but spread out through three movies because they were too busy thinking about the Marvel cinematic universe. And again, incredibly entertaining movies. Don't get me wrong. But that's the difference between the Sam Raimi movie, the Sam Raimi movies, and the John Watts movies. And I think that's a fair point. Like I don't think I'm making this up. No, I th- if I may just uh, say something, you're not wrong. But I think, as I said, we all know we all know who Spider Man is. And the key thing, especially with this movie, is that it is pure fan service in a way. How it closes a lot of storylines, and I think that's what sort of makes it good. We all know. And you do see Spider-Man, the classic, being awkward on girls, getting bullied, having problems with school or with money, and just and having it and just dealing with everything that the others have dealt with. And of course, you know, Sam Raimi did a very had his own universe that was self-contained. So I, but I, but as you said, the, uh, the at the very beginning, this movie is pure and utter fan service, and that does bring the issue like it's still great i still very much enjoyed it but of course that's what the problem is it uh how it stands as a film upon it on onto itself well i just wonder if i'm going to enjoy it as much as i did on the second viewing when i'm not surrounded by ten thousand people in the movie theater screaming because they saw andrew garfield and toby mcguire walk out it's not gonna have the same feel patrick murphy our former co-host he used to always complain about how these movies kind of felt like it was like an event and not so much movie making. And when I go to the movie theater, and this is like a personal like thing that bugs me, it has nothing to do with the movie and I acknowledge that. When I go to a movie theater and there's like 10,000 kids screaming so loud because Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire walked out and I'm like, you weren't even born when those movies came out with, with Tobey Maguire. And I kind of, I don't buy into their enthusiasm. I think they just want to whip out their cell phones and film a video for TikTok to get a bunch of likes and whatever. And like, it's more about just being there with people and getting excited about something. But I don't know, like, it's so weird. Like I have these mixed feelings about the, 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 the Spider-Man movies from MCU, as you can tell, because I do, I did really, really enjoy the movie, but like, 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 for example, the whole thing with the magic, I mean, if you really think about it, none of it makes sense. And I guess that's fine. Hold on, Ricky, before you go into the middle of the movie, can we go back right before you started yelling at children in the movie theater and talk about, we've kind of talked about a lot about things outside of the film. Can we, let's talk about the beginning of the film itself, because I do think that where this movie begins, it, it does try to establish itself as being separated from the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that came before it in, a, in the way that like the first 24 movies and the end game shit is not really mentioned here at all. And everybody's kind of forgotten the emotional traumas of all of that. And we've moved on from it. So where we begin here is where Spider-Man is revealed to the world, which as we all, all three of us being Spider-Man fans know is a major Spider-Man plot line. And then we go into Spider-Man going to talk to Dr. Strange, which as we know is another entire Spider-Man plot line. So 
as soon as this movie starts, it feels like it's trying to already be two different movies. And I don't think it decides what it wants to be until the last scene. Yeah, I think I know what you're trying to say, but like most of this movie takes inspiration from the the One More Day comic storyline from the Spider-Man uh, comic book. Uh, so One More Day basically uh, revolves around his breakup with MJ. Uh, Doctor Strange shows up. He wants to lose his memory. He wants everyone to lose his memory. Uh, I think that's the comic book in which Aunt May dies. There's a lot of similarities between that comic book and this movie. The big difference, if I may, is that in 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 I think it's in one more day. It's the one where Mif- where actually Mephisto has a, a purpose and a plot point, and not so and not in uh, every other Disney Plus movie like in Loki or in WandaVision or in Hawkeye, where everybody is Mephisto. Well, he makes a deal with Parker in that comic book to yes. bring Aunt Light uh, to bring Aunt May back to life and uh restore his secret identity if i'm not mistaken that is correct yes yeah yeah okay so right now we're on the first half of the movie so i will say this i really really love the doctor strange versus spider-man fight sequence because it's just like visually it's so creative and innovative uh watching a magician fight spider-man on the (laughs) screen uh, it makes me really excited for Doctor Strange. I really love that. I don't know about you guys. Oh, yes. It's like they had the budget to do the thing they wanted to do in the first Doctor Strange movie. And I said, oh, it looks cooler now. I, I definitely enjoy how the fight ends. But <laughs> I think it's a little uh, impractical, maybe. <laughs> well, it's kind of the thing this whole movie hinges on is well, that conflict, right? Early on. Yeah. It's like we need to have we need to have like Peter Parker realize that he's a fucking idiot in the middle of a spell, which like, I don't know. It was, it's, it's hard to buy into this. Yeah. They're no, both idiots, but no, no, it, this is no. the point. You have to buy into this plot point to buy into this film, which I think to its credit, it does the best that it can to justify it. Okay. Yeah. In this case is who's the idiot. There is a Dr. Strange or Spider-Man. First of all, Sp- both are, but we have to understand that Spider-Man has always, it's, from all my instant reading Spider-Man, watching Spider-Man, he is essentially a failure. He makes mistakes. A lot of the problems he does bring onto himself, and he's always trying to find some fix it. Doctor Strange should have said, okay, I'm about to create this big, important, world-changing thing. Let's go through the details first. It, it, it's like all of these things. Like, you know how, right, um, like if you, before you fly or travel or before you purchase a car, purchase any big thing, there's a list of here are things you must have or must do or must re- require. The fact that a doctor, a surge, a one of the most uh, talented surgeons is like, well, let's just go do it, was a bit, I, I had a hard time fully being convinced by that. But I also realized I'm watching a superhero movie, so I can sort of dial my um, suspicions down just a little just to fully accept it because but here's the thing with that like when you try to dumb it down like this this the whole thing with marvel is like we have we we can make a narrative that carries on through every single movie and you got to pay attention and it all makes sense and you can look back 15 movies and like we've got this whole thing going didn't dr strange just see what fucking happened in westview didn't we all just watch wandavision and see what happened there like why would he think this is a good idea then and if so if that if like Marvel's not going to be able to make its characters at least logically consistent like that, doesn't this whole 
multiverse, multi-movie things start to fall apart. Because yeah. none of them are responsible, which I think is also a theme of the movie, you know, about responsibility. Like even Rick said, you know, the main quote is there, but Doctor Strange is always, you know, like his whole first movie is about making mistakes. And if you see the, you know, the TV show, What If, it's like that whole episode about the uh, Supreme Sorcerer and stuff like that with Doctor Strange. Like it's all about, you know, he constantly makes errors. And that's, I think that actually makes sense that he would do that because he was just trying to do a favor for Peter Parker and he didn't expect it to go that way. But, you know. I do find it funny that, again, like I said this earlier, when you do introduce magic, you can have plot holes and none of it needs to make sense because it's magic. Like I'll give you an example. So everyone forgets that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but they don't necessarily forget that Spider-Man is Spider-Man. So what do the events like, like, I guess that means the Avengers don't know who Spider-Man is, but it's just weird because like, like what happened, what happens to MJ and Ned? Like, do they completely forget about all the memories and time and things that they did with, because like they, it's the memory that's erased. It's not the actual event. So if he went to Europe with Ned and MJ, and they took a photograph that Polaroid still exists and maybe it's sitting in her, in her bedroom, for example, or is it that the magic completely warps the entire universe that even those actual events no longer actually took place? Like that's, what's weird about it. You know what I mean? Well, here's like, the good news is the movie ends right when it's about to answer that question. Which starts to beg the question of once this spell is cast and um, all of our old favorites that the children of today are not going to recognize from the Spider-Man movies of 20 years ago start showing up. What? It, it has almost been 20 years. Yeah, it's we, almost been are, 20 years. It's... We are old if you have not paid attention I, yet. I know. Mm. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, uh, Toby McGuire, Spider Man's looking a little. He's looking like he has embraced the die job of Spider Man Three a little <laughs> hard around. I think. Um, but anyway, it's Doctor Strange fucks up the spell. Everything goes wrong. Characters start showing up. This movie happens, and where it ends up, I just can't. I I, I left the movie theater being like, okay, this was cool. This was this this looked okay in spots. Some of it looked like shit. But what what did we do? Because it ends with it, like it ends with the premise happening. Well, you know what's going to happen is Sony is going to start making the Spider Man movies, and none of it's going to make any sense, and everyone's going to blame Sony when the problem already exists. I mean, Jared Leto's going to start showing up. Oh Jesus Christ! Maybe <laughs> I mean no no like like that's that's the, that's why the ending of this movie is sort of like bittersweet, and it leaves me to worry about the future because I do know that Tom Holland and Marvel and Sony signed a contract in which Tom Holland has to appear in one more non-Spider-Man movie that's made for Marvel, which I'm assuming is maybe Doctor Strange. So what happens after, I do not know. Now, the movie ends where they open up the possibility to start a new trilogy. Clearly, it's most likely not going to be Tom Holland. Miles Morales would make sense. You know, there was mention of him in the previous movie. Uh, when uh, Donald Glover shows up, so not to that, interrupt Rick, but didn't they yeah. already confirm they're working on three more movies? Yeah, they they confirmed they're working on three more, but with Tom it, Holland. Have they? Like, is that actually yeah. true? Yeah, it's going to be Tom Holland Spider Man again. So okay, so when was this confirmed? I think a while ago. I mean, that's been going around for a while. So no, hmm, that's an that's, that's interesting because. After seeing this movie, I would I would beg the question of whether Disney thought Tom Holland could carry a Spider-Man movie, given 
you put him with Michael Keaton in the first one. You had Robert Downey Jr. following him around in every non-Spider-Man movie. The second one, you put Jake Gyllenhaal next to him. And this one, you literally put the better Spider-Man next to him. Like, what What are they going to... Like, that's really interesting to me because, I mean, coming out of this trilogy, my like coming out of this film in particular of the trilogy, I was like, oh, man, I want to see old, sad Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I don't really care what happens to this guy. But but the thing is, um, and maybe David, you would know, so yes. feel free to chime in. But I I believe that regardless if he is officially making three more movies for Sony, for Sony, Sony owns the rights to Spider Man. He needs to make one more movie for Marvels. What I'm saying, but what I'm trying to say here is that this feels like it really is the end of Spider Man as part of the MCU. Um, if first I have to correct you on one thing you said, um, the the Donald. The, the Glover uh, appearance in in the Spider-Man movie, he was actually portraying. Um, oh yeah, he was he was. Pro- I just want to make sure he was Prowler, and he does he his. I know that, but he says yeah. my cousin. He my, calls my Miles nephew. On the phone. My nephew. His nephew. His yes. nephew. Yeah. His yeah. nephew. Sir, and that was it. I just want to clarify, just in case if somebody misunderstood, but that was clearly me. But yeah, I at this point, there's so many rumors and news and these terrible sites that come out that just spout rumors and things like that. But right, I believe now Sony might have the. Uh, I understood is that Sony has the rights to it, and. It, he whether he has appeared in one more movie, I that I haven't heard of yet. I can't confirm. Oh but no, I, I know that for a fact. Like that, that's a fact. Okay. I mean, yeah. And but I think what they did there was actually very clever in a way, as you said that everybody forget who you forgets who he is. Meaning, it it but it leaves a, do- a door slightly open for him to return just in case of Sony make makes mistakes. I mean, look, Sony's never going to give up the Spider-Man IP. So, like, I'm just saying that, like, anything can happen. I mean, Tom Holland is the reason why the the deal was made in the first place, because he got on the phone and he convinced Marvel and DC to do a joint co-production, right? I mean, there's if if there's money involved, anything can happen. But it just seems like Sony's going to go ahead and make three more Spider-Man movies outside of the mcu which might be a good thing like we don't know maybe we'll get movies at the quality of like the sam raimi films we don't know like going back to this movie really quick uh well actually not really quick we're here to talk about this movie (laughs) so i mean so okay so the fight sequences i loved the doctor strange fight sequence with uh spider-man the doc ock spider-man fight sequence was okay but it was great to see alfred molina and um and um, William Dafoe back because they are by far the two best villains in any. Spider-Man I think film. William Dafoe and Andrew Garfield are the only two people having fun in this entire film. Oh man, William Dafoe is incredible in this film. I love how he just smashes the actual like mask because nobody really liked it, and it's good to actually see his face because why would you hide his face? Because he's such a great expressive actor. Oh god, yeah, and he's just incredible in this film. Going back to what you talked about, I don't about the ending before, but I really. I, I really disagree with you guys. I think this movie ends on like a perfect note. You know, before I saw this movie, I rewatched all the other Spider-Man movies. And I have to say, like, out of all of them, I feel like Tom Holland had the most development out of any of the Spider-Man. Like, I just feel like he developed the most, especially at the end of this movie where he's literally left with nothing. Like he, you know, he lost his aunt, he lost his girlfriend, he lost his best friend, his home. Not like really, though, because it's a magic trick. nothing at the end of the movie. It's a magic trick. 
No, this is a permanent change for him. He's literally stuck in some shitty apartment in New York with having to sew a Spider-Man suit together. He doesn't have any of Tony Stark's technology. He literally has nothing that he had before, which I think properly fits the title of the movie being No Way Home because he literally, this was the only option for him. He has No Way Home and now he's left with nothing. But Mark, I, I didn't say I didn't like the ending. I think it is a perfect ending for this trilogy. Um, what I said was I felt that what they did in the Spider-Man film that Sam Raimi directed, that very, that, that very first Spider-Man movie that was released 21 years ago, mm -hmm. what they do in that one movie, it took them three movies to do. And I'm not, that's not criticism. That's just a fact. Like it took us three movies to get to the real finish of the origin story. Aunt May dies. He breaks up with MJ. He goes through this like crisis. He breaks down. He realizes how vulnerable he is. Like everything. Well, you see, just but said, I think that I think all of that is development. Like the original Sam Raimi film, he literally in the first one, he literally just became Spider Man. And his his you know his relationship with MJ in the originals after rewatching them because I always loved them as a kid, but after rewatching them, like his whole relationship with Harry Osborn and MJ is just so awkward. And the whole, yeah. like, I still love those movies. I'll still say it, I still love them. But the whole thing with his relationships and chemistries with the other characters, like, I get that you're saying it's, like, awkward. And it should be because he's a teenage, you know, he's a teenage kid. It should be awkward and all that. But it, it was just so off, just the chemistry in those original films. Hold on. I feel like you hear what I'm saying, but you're not listening to me. Everything you're saying is right. We're on the same page. What I'm saying is it took three movies because the first two movies, they didn't focus on that. Like, I do think that it, it's, it's kind of sucks for Tom Holland. Like if, he, if he's going to get three more Spider-Man movies, it might not make a difference. But like Randy said, if you go back to the start of the podcast, he didn't really get a Spider-Man movie really about him because he gets more emotional growth in this film but he's also, once again, overshadowed in this case by Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, who, by the way, we have to talk about because Andrew Garfield is freaking amazing in this movie. He is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I have to disagree on that, Ricky. Like, the fact that he was... I, uh, I will have to admit that in the first in the, in the the first one, he was... Though he was the main character, he got a lot of support from other heroes, like with from the Avengers, from Iron Man, and his work there. So there was no real solo thing just for him. And in the second one, it was once again all about trying to about his about was someone dealing with iron about Iron Man and the Avengers and the and the blip and th and surviving that. So it wasn't really he was he wasn't the one fully driving the plot per se. It was just things around it. But I still love the, from the growth that you saw from the very first one, like when he was trying to be an avenger kind of attitude i want to be an avenger i want to do this this is what i want to be like you know um and then realizing no i just got to be the kind of friendly neighborhood spider-man and then but what, david what what was the the morale of the first movie the second movie and then the third movie uh the first the first movie is essentially is if you're nothing with the if you're nothing with the suit yes. you shouldn't have it so Bingo. and right second film um, You're dead on. What, what was the morale for the second film? Not that he's putting a gun to your head or anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just fucking. This is. It's. I'm trying. I'm trying to find something as clever or witty as you no know, great power and responsibility, or you got to help the ones in need. Well, that's 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 a third film. That's a third film. Absolutely, there is no perfect phrase like uh, uh, that's easily quotable 
for that. Once again, it's it's about it's, it's it has a lot of there's no quote, but still the responsibility and the legacy of taking you know the glasses, like, you know Tony Stark's glasses, and about about you know now that I no longer have a mentor, now that I'm somewhat on my own, what can I do? And the second one's really about trusting himself and not relying on others, as you yes. see, like when he was like, I Tony Stark and Iron Man gave this to me. I had to look to their legacy. But the perfect scene is when he's trying to trust his own instincts in that amazing bridge fight scene with, you know, his spider sense. It's trusting himself. So in a way, the growth is there. It's like, I need to be, it's the idea of, I have to be, I am, let me rephrase that. I believe it's, I am so much stronger than I think I am. And I know I can do this. Yeah, but I still think that based on everything we're saying, like, I don't think I'm wrong that these three movies, in terms of like the overall narrative and his emotional growth and growth as a person and a superhero, it's all there in the first Sam Raimi movie. I mean, to the point where we get that famous line with response, uh, with what is it with um, great, with great power comes power great, comes responsibility. great responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the main difference. Like, I think it's interesting how they basically stretched out an origin story over three movies. What what I what I do love about these movies, and this is what I was talking to Simon about off air, is they really found uh, an amazing way to balance comedy inside what is essentially like a sci-fi fantasy action film. Like I feel like these three movies, like even like when I rewatched the first two movies, I wasn't really interested in like the action scenes, you know, because you've already seen them, and you know what's going to happen. There's not much suspense when you when you already know the outcome, right? On the second viewing, it's not like no offense, not like uh, the incredible like car chase sequence in Matrix Reloaded, uh, but there's so much in, in clever comedy, and I think that it's the charisma, the performances, the actors, the cast, and just the writing, like the comedy, that makes these movies so incredibly entertaining. It's funny hearing you guys talk about the the way you view these films because after leaving the this third holland film i almost felt like marvel had tried to tell me the story of spider-man backwards <laughs> you know the the first spider-man movie begins with his origin story already over you know he's in school he has the crush on mj he's already spider-man he's already done some shit apparently you know we've seen him in civil war fling himself around like not the first time he's put on a suit clearly um, and at the end of this movie, he's, he's the Spider-Man that, you know, we, we meet usually at the beginning of his story. He doesn't have a suit. He's lost somebody in his family. He, he's driven by a, a, a very grounded purpose in the reality in the New York that he lives in particular. You know, I think New York is a character in these films, as opposed to New York as a character in the Rami films or, or even, into the Spider-Verse is completely different than what you get offered here. Um, and I think it's a matter of scope. And I think ultimately it's what makes this trilogy feel short. And especially this film, because if you haven't noticed, we've been talking for 40 minutes. We've barely talked about this actual movie, which has every single character <laughs> from every other Spider-Man movie in it to try and convince you that it's an important film. When really, when this movie gets to the end, I don't think it is. And I think, all of these cameos were thrown into the second act of a movie that had no identity, but they saw that into the spider verse clicked so well and wanted to tap into that, that they said, well, if we just throw money at all the famous people from the other films and give them this rough, roughly the same arc about, you know, the other Spider-Man got to pick up our new cool Spider-Man and give him a pat on the ass. So he gets going quick. 
like I don't know. I think I, you know, you say that the the first Raimi film does what these three films do. I think the first half an hour of Into the Spider Verse does what these three films do. Oh yeah, that's a way better film. That film is incredible. It is. Yeah, and I still think that's the best one. This film only happened because Into the Spider Verse was such a success. I I wouldn't say so because if you watch like Loki and you know even WandaVision, how it's tying in the multiverse, like that's Marvel's next arc the first one was all about the infinity stones and just keeping that condensed to that it was all about thanos and that whole arc and i mean hawkeye yeah well what about hawkeye (laughs) i mean like hawkeye ties into this specific movie i mean the very final episode oh yes with the well spoilers to that with the kingpin and then obviously in this film they introduce matt murdoch he's back as you know charlie cox is back as daredevil or are they are they just there for a scene yeah. Um, I, I think there's way too much money at this point for any of these people for studios to just want actors to appear in one scene. Um, I think at this point they can pretty much do anything because they did open up the multiverse. And Randy, I, I'm not going to disagree with you because I do think that the Spider Verse film was a, a, like one one of the three main reasons why this movie was made. But that said, holy shit, man! Like when I was in the theater and I like. I stay away from, from, you know, movie blogs that have like uh, spoilers or, you know, rumors or like, I didn't want to know anything. I didn't even watch the damn trailer. Okay. But I could not help but know or think that there is a good chance, a good possibility that uh, Tobey Maguire would show up. I did not think Andrew Garfield would show up, even though I saw some headlines. You know what I mean? Just because I was like, oh man, I've seen him in so many interviews. I've seen the guy cry his ass off on like the late show. And I was like, nah, he, like, if, he, if he's lying, you got to give this man an Oscar just for all of the interviews he had to do and just lie about him not being in this film. But when we get to that scene, okay, so first of all, it's like a, it's like, it's, it's crazy how it was set up. This I thought was ingenious. This is the part of the movie that I love. Okay, so first we get Aunt May and she dies. And then we get the line, the famous monologue from the comic book verbatim. Fantastic. I cried. He cried. Everyone cried. Lots of tears, lots of emotions, okay. And then, you know, we get the scene that we, we thought we would get where Peter Parker is, like, on a rooftop somewhere and he's looking sad and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then we get the scene when, finally, Andrew Garfield walks in and then followed by Tobey Maguire. The movie theater, like, erupts. But when I saw Andrew Garfield... Were you a, I bunch, had, like, a bunch of cracked-out children or something? Like, where were you? Were you, like, in this ecstatic football stadium full of fans? Like, what movie theater Randy, did you Randy, have to? you not seen the freaking videos online of people reacting to this movie? Yeah, I, I went well, opening night, and didn't my theater to just me. blew up. It didn't... It was just strange. I expected it. I expected it. I was going to join in. And when I got there, it was, it was only when... Like, uh, were people totally. like ripping their shirts off and, and stuff? Like, what happened? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. People were ripping their shirts off, doing cartwheels, screaming, yelling. Like one guy got body slammed. I'm not even joking. Like it was insane. Like when Andrew Garfield showed up, we have lost our goddamn minds. It, the, I was talking to Simon about this. Society has lost control. Okay, it was insane. I was like, I got a big smile on my face. I wasn't like doing cartwheels. I couldn't believe how people reacted to Andrew Garfield. When Toby Maguire showed up, I started crying. Like, I, like, legit got, like, teary-eyed, right? Not, like, you know, intense crying, but, like, I got teary-eyed because, like, you know, that's that's my movie. That's my guy. I'm sure he cried, but, too, and he saw all the zeros in the check. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he did. But was it not like that? Like, uh, David, did you see it in Ottawa or, or Montreal? I saw it in Ottawa. and I Oh, saw there's it, your I, problem. No, yeah. I saw it in Ottawa <laughs> opening night at 7. 
when usually it's everybody you're in Ottawa. <laughs> There's that, like, Ottawa's like the most boring city. It is. is I think it is on? because of that. And you know what? And I and I was surprised because when I saw like I hate to bring it back when I saw like you know Endgame, which is basically you know fan service beyond belief. I had to watch it twice or three uh, twice more after to see to catch everything because of how everyone is happy with this. I'm like. Andrew Garfield comes out. I start clapping, and then I realize nobody else is, and I sort of stop, embarrassed, <laughs> because it's like, it's it's like these guys are the original Spider. This is what we came to the, see the movie for. Dude, there was a guy in my cinema who went to the washroom during the scene, and when he came back, I guess like he was so upset, he just started screaming and yelling. He was he was crying. <laughs> he was crying not because they showed up. He was crying because he missed the moment. That's the worst part. <laughs> it's terrible. It's it's like no, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave now while dark while while you know Luke Skywalker is sitting there with one hand. Nothing big is going to happen. Oh, I feel bad for that guy. I really do. <laughs> Do we actually, does anybody actually really care about Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man? Because I feel like those movies came out, yes. everybody was yes. like, I, I really, I really love that first film. Them. No, I really like it, the first film. I think the first Mark Webb, Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man film um, is really good. Like, I think it's actually, I think it might be better than the original Sam Raimi film. Like, if it what? weren't for, here's no, the thing, here's the thing. No, no, I just rewatched, I just rewatched all of them. If it weren't for William Defoe, like, I would a hundred percent take the amazing Spider-Man over the original Spider-Man. I think the only thing better in that movie, the Andrew Garfield movie is the costume. I think it's the best costume out of any costume, the Spider-Man costume out of any costume for any mm-hmm. uh, Marvel movie. The costume's amazing. Like the big wide eyes. Uh, but um, I, I like, I think, I think the thing is uh, Randy's that, the reason why I cared so much about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, his Peter Parker in this movie, it had a lot to do with the actor himself because I think he was unfairly criticized for those movies because it wasn't really his fault. It wasn't his fault that the villains looked so bad. It wasn't his fault they didn't have the best screenplay. It wasn't his fault that whatever, whatever, right? Um, and he is a huge, huge Spider-Man fan. Like, it meant so much to the guy that it tore him apart just reading the critic reviews uh hearing the feedback from fans like it like really scarred him and yeah. i think that this really gave him and not just him but even toby Maguire, because the third toby Maguire film like also was you know people Bad. just do not like that film right yeah so it kind of like gave these two actors closure and it gave their characters in the movie and closure and i think that's kind of like what made it brilliant in terms of like how they included those two Peter Parkers in this film. Yeah. Now here's the question. The, the door that this opens though, is that, you know, it's, it's the question that I guess to kind of cross over popular media entries of the past month. It's the question that the, the matrix resurrection asks is that, can, Will we ever be able to let a character go? Like, are we going to have Tobey Maguire coming back in his 60s to give us a one scene cameo as Spider-Man shitting his pants on the sidewalk somewhere? Like, what? what is what is the end game for this? Well, I think it's very different in this case because, you know, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield ended on really 
poor notes to say the least but in this case they finally get closure like the marvel universe you know they do bring back a lot of characters a lot of characters are seen dead and then don't actually die you know like how many times has loki done that already God. but like characters characters do die like tony stark like that's it like robert downey jr is done chris yeah, evans you, is you done. say that but then you know you get a little magic here, a little, little, a little bit of green here. here a little I bit of really, green there. I really don't think these characters will be back. And if they do come back, I think it'll be a situation like in you know the upcoming Doctor Strange, where it's like maybe it'll be a quick cameo. No, I, or like, I don't think they'll come back because maybe 10, 20 years down the line, but it'll be a nice sort of like Easter egg. The reason why I don't think they'll be back is because. Out of all the characters who came back to to uh, in the What If series, er, the they got people to, the people who voiced uh, um, Iron Man and Captain America were very talented voice actors who uh, who were able to mimic them as close as possible. The fact they got like you know Michael Douglas to voice his character in that and for a for. A, briefly or they got you know benedict cumberbatch so will uh will um, robert downey jr and chris evans ever come back maybe but not i don't think anytime soon yeah but i think the point randy's trying to make is that this does open up the possibility that they can bring back anybody i mean like one of the uh problems i had reading comic books and one of the three reasons why i stopped reading comic book or superhero comic books is because they used to just bring back everybody from the dead yes. now there was times when they would do it properly like when Barry Allen from uh, the, the original Flash. Yeah, but that's like Barry even a Allen cool concept, you know? Like you get, you ran so goddamn fast, like you got stuck in between reality. Like that's but a cool idea. But they also brought idea. it back like 20 years later, maybe even longer. Like, I mean, he disappeared, like he died in 86 and they brought him back in like the 2000s. So. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, B- uh, Bucky Barnes. Like uh, when the idea of saying the there's an uh, a, a phrase saying the there's a, the only three people who have will ever stay dead in comics is Uncle Ben, uh, Bucky Barnes, and Jason Todd, and I think two of them already have come back and become incredible characters. So yeah, it, in the MCU, just excised Ben from existence entirely. <laughs> And, and not not just that, but like, how come like when uh, Doctor Strange messes up his spell, right, and we get you know doc ock shows up electro etc etc why didn't say for example someone like ben show up like because it was it was it was weird how they just conveniently chose like specific people who just all happen to be villains and of course the two spider-mans like what about everybody else from that Mm, universe it's almost like it's an ip and not an actual film (laughs) (laughs) i think you're on to something ricky keep going keep going do you really want to see either like George, like uh, Jason Alexander or Joe Pesci coming back as Uncle Ben, or do you want to see more of Willem <laughs> Dafoe? I do mean, I want to see a zombie Uncle Ben show up? Hell yeah! <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna bring people from the universe, bring back the dead. Sure, I mean they did they 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 did it with the villains. Like they brought back dead villains. Who, by the way, everyone like uh, Toby Maguire. Andrew Garfield aged, but everyone else doesn't age. Well, Jamie Foxx, I guess he does age, although he looked younger because he wasn't all blue. Which, by the way, he, if I'm not mistaken, he didn't know Spider-Man's secret identity. So why did he come back? Or is that an Electro from a different universe? I'm confused. I think Electro did know at the end of that film. No, I don't think so. Yeah, when he battles Spider-Man at the um, the power plant, I'm pretty sure he knew at that point, which is why... Um... 
Wasn't that like why Gwen Stacy? I can't even remember the film. I have to be honest. That's the one Spider-Man movie I did not actually see because I've only heard poor things. It's because you see uh, Paul Giamatti as the rhino in your sleep. <laughs> yeah, I I really like this movie. I know it has its problems, but you know, after spending a week watching every single Spider-Man film, I still think Into the Spider-Verse is the best. But I think. <sighs> I, I don't know. I just think Tom Holland's movies are way more concise and just, I love like the storytelling and the way it's directed. I just feel like John Watts did a way better job than perhaps the other directors. I do miss Sam Raimi's, you know, his camera direction, especially with the action sequences and stuff like that. But I just feel like this whole trilogy overall was more satisfying than the others. And it just, I feel like the characters were just more compelling. I think John Watts is a better director when it comes to directing actors, but Sam Raimi, especially Spider-Man 2, it has such a perfect blend of horror. Like there are scenes that look lifted from a horror film, especially when Doc Ock gets his arms and goes like completely wacko and loses control Mm -hmm. inside the uh, the lab. There's uh, scenes of dark comedy. There's like the wrestling scene, which was incredible with Bruce Campbell, the camera work, the Dutch angles, the cinematography, the textures, um, you know, but that movie was also made in, what, 2000, 1999, so they didn't really have the, the technology back then. So, you know, give uh, props to Sam Raimi for, I mean, when it comes to everyone, everyone talks about, like, who to credit has for for uh, uh, having the MCU. And, like, you can look at John Favreau, you can look at Kevin Feige, Feige. Um, you know, there's that first Iron Man movie, which, of course, was important because if that wasn't a, a success, who knows where we would be. But it was Sam Raimi who made the first truly great, like, superhero movie with that, with those kind of, like, special effects. Like, he he's the one who was able to bring Spider-Man to the big screen. And he did it at a time when he didn't have as much of a budget and uh, the special effects and CGI and whatever that we have now. So uh, I do think that, you know, I will acknowledge that John Watts is maybe better with the cast and i i think that comes i think you see that it's evident with the chemistry and the way they deliver lines and and also like there's so many easter eggs it's insane like like i mean i've only i've only had the chance to watch this movie one time because unfortunately they shut down the movie theaters here in montreal because of covid but like i remember seeing like things like for example in hawkeye you um when they have like a broadway play like you actually see that in the background like everything from the headlines in the newspapers to um the t-shirts they wear to like recreating scenes from like previous movies uh not just the john watts movies but the sam raimi films and lines of dialogue that are lifted from the toby Maguire films and the andrew garfield films i mean when andrew garfield appears for the first time and when toby Maguire appears for the first time they actually use the music from those movies and i only knew this because i watched like you mark i watched those movies over again and i gotta say i think like the score for that original amazing spider-man film like the first film with andrew garfield that score is incredible incredibly underrated um so things like that i love and you know one of my favorite scenes is when they recreate the famous meme only it's not really like recreated the same way like they're not in costume they're actually just wearing their street clothes and they're in a lab, but they're all pointing at each other. I thought like little things like that, fan service, sure, but it really made me smile and like made my day. Well, shout out to Ricky for introducing another 20 conversation points right as we're about to head into a break. Um, I think ultimately where we all, I think we all agree, like like David and Mark had said, that, that 
No Way Home on its own has a lot of interesting points, has a lot of good merits. It's a, it's an incredibly likable film if you want to if you're able to meet it on its own terms. I think ultimately where we diverge is considering it as kind of a larger a larger taste of the palette of what's to come in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I think maybe we'll talk a little bit about what this film means for that in the second half of our show. So right there we will take a break and we'll be right back with our five questions. You ready? I'm ready. Nice knowing you, Spider-Man. Wait, excuse me? The entire world's about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Everyone? Uh, can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So my girlfriend's just gonna forget about everything we've been through? I mean, is she even gonna be my girlfriend? All right, fine. <laughs> Everyone in the world's gonna forget that you're Spider-Man, except your girlfriend. Thank you so much. That... Oh my God, Ned. Okay, let's not change the parameters of this spell anymore while I'm casting. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I, I swear, I'm done. I'm done. Nah, but my aunt May should really know. Dude, just, dude, just stop talking. Welcome back to the Sorted Cinema Podcast. It is time for everybody's favorite round of five questions. Dun, 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 dun. So I'm going to close my eyes, point at a random person's name on the screen here. I just pointed at myself. Uh, I just want to know my screen name for this episode is Forgotten Hobgoblin because, ooh, yeah, maybe we don't want to mention that character from the original trilogy. Um so, first question that we always ask here is, what is your favorite scene from Spider-Man No Way Home? Uh, my finger landed on you, David. So, we'll start with you. What was your favorite scene from No Way Home? Oh, what? I think there are so very many, but I think one of my favorite was the introduction of, Do of Doc Ock, of, of Dr. Octav Octavius on the bridge, because we hear, we hear the lead motif. And then we see the we, we do see the tentacles coming, and we all for who everybody who's seen a trailer knows it's going to happen. But from that introduction, from his just persistence to go after Spider-Man, from the fight scenes to Spider-Man trying to figure out who he is and what he's dealing dealing with, it was just I was sort of on the edge of my seat, thinking of what's of what is about to happen. Here's one of the one of the best villains, like in like uh, in like a, in one of these Marvel movies finally appearing and how he's going to get out of it and it's and then when you finally end it with the teleportation and seeing the green goblin i i just felt they got everything you really wanted from a spider-man movie we'll continue in alphabetical order mark what was your favorite scene from no way home so there's a scene after aunt may dies and spider-man is sitting up on like a rooftop and he's looking at, um, I think it's a screen in like Times Square, but he's looking at um, J. Jonah Jameson's reporting and he's talking about how everywhere Spider-Man goes, destruction follows. And it's just the whole way. It's just like shot. It's just so perfect. Just seeing how the camera pans and like just the way just Tom Holland, literally his facial expression, just everything about the moment is so perfect. I really love that one. And then the second one I wanted to say was when... Uh, Andrew Garfield catches MJ because yeah, even Mark though I really cheated, you're all <laughs> I, I, I had to throw it in. I had to, but when he just when he caught her, just that whole moment of afterwards when he's like, "Oh, are you okay?" Just like even though I hated the Amazing Spider-Man two, there was just so much emotion in that scene. 
It was just perfect. Ricky, did your moment just get stolen? I said, did your moment just get stolen? Oh, fuck yeah. Come on. I mean, Andrew Garfield <laughs> made me cry in this movie. I mean, I, I if you told me like five years ago that they that I would see Andrew Garfield has Spider-Man on the big screen and he would make me cry, I would say you're on crack. Like that scene was incredible because yes, it calls back to the scene from Amazing Spider-Man 2, which calls back to the scene in the comic book. And yes, Gwen Stacy uh, does die and he screws up and here he makes up for it. He redeems himself because in this case, he actually dies instead of using his, his, uh, his webs to try to save MJ. He does the full on dive. And the crowd, Randy, again, the crowd went ballistic. There was a guy that was running up and down the aisle. Like, just what? like, I'm not even joking. I thought the guy was shitting his pants or something. I was like, what is going on here? It was insane. Like, the, the crowd reaction was unreal. Um, my favorite scene from No Way Home uh, is the scene where Willem Dafoe shows up to capital A act, and that is every single scene that he is in. I think he is the returning character that gives this film energy i don't think uh it's very interesting i'd be very interesting to see what molina's shooting schedule was because it seemed like he lost gas for the project about halfway through shooting it um i think garfield and mcguire of course bring it when the script calls for it but i think this is kind of willem defoe's show whenever he wants it to be and he dictates it as such and i think that is just it's always a pleasure to see in movies. So it was a great, it was a great thing, especially as somebody who grew up and has very near dear memories of those first few Spider-Man films. All right. 100% agree. And he's incredible and give credit to him for wanting to play a major part to the point where he actually did a lot of the physical stunts. He, it was like one of the things that he demanded, like Jamie Foxx just want, just was like, I don't want to be blue. You know, this dude was like, no, I want to be in the movie. I want, I want to actually be part of the plot. I want to like get down and dirty with Peter Parker. Like, I mean, oh God, this guy's incredible. He's such an amazing actor. Uh, which that kind of answers the second question for me. Who was the MVP of the film? I think Willem Dafoe kind of, like I said, when this film needs energy, when it's, you know, kind of has characters staring at each other in this weird underground dungeon lab place that's kind of explained, but is just, kind of a convenient place for us to hang out for most of the film. I think he really just kind of, he, he kind of kickstarts the movie to life in a lot of places. Um, so Ricky, who was your MVP for no way home? I would love to give it to him, but I'm actually going to give it to Tom Holland because this is the movie where Tom Holland gets to show his true acting chops. He he's, he's left vulnerable. He, he has these scenes where he has to like, you know, cry and just look sad. And like, I mean, like, his physical mannerisms, his facial expressions, his his whole entire performance from the start to the end of the film. And it's a really heavy film at times. Like even at the very end, when we had that sort of eternal sunshine on the spotless mind sort of ending, um, he does an amazing job. And he really actually made me care for the character more so than the previous two films. Because in the previous two films, I kind of just like, I liked him because, you know, he's Spider-Man and he's got charisma and, you know, the quips and, and Tom Holland himself, even in real life, he's a really charismatic, fun dude, right? But in this movie, I think we got to see a completely different side of his Spider-Man, which is why I hope you are right, David and Mark, that we are going to get three more movies with Tom Holland. Um, I'm just still kind of worried if it's Sony in charge. Mark, how about you? Who's your MVP for No Way Home? <sighs> that is a tough choice. I want to say... 
I really want to say William Defoe because just his yeah, whole demeanor as the goblin is just fucking phenomenal. The entire thing. It's just, he's such a great actor. Now he's the best part of two Spider-Man trilogies, but uh, I, I feel like Andrew Garfield really was the MVP. I mean, he just, his whole emotional performance was just so well done. And he clearly like cared about the part. If, if, they, if we're going to flip a coin and pick one of the two previously on Spider-Man to return again, I think Andrew Garfield, probably won himself another Mm -hmm. paycheck there and also i'd just love to see it i don't know if this would ever be possible but i feel like andrew garfield's spider-man would fit perfectly like with deadpool if we were ever to get that crossover (laughs) oh you know it'll happen one day david who's your mvp uh since you know ricky's took my answer completely because once again yeah tom holland is a tool to force in all of these the way that his his facial, uh, his facial expressions, his mannerisms, everything he's done is like, like amazing. Like the the scene when he was like, uh, a, a, after after he loses Aunt May, when he goes through like depression and anger, is just it's amazing. The way that he looking for uh, trying to get hope and failing or trying to and finally find that relief. He's just a phenomenal actor. But it was just Tom Holland. It was his movie. All right, so now I'm going to switch up the order for question three, if only to be arbitrary. Question three <laughs> is, if we were to change one thing in the film, what would that be? Mark, what would you change about one No Way Home? So I know the focus was with Doctor Strange and Spider-Man in the beginning, but when we got to see Matt Murdock, that was so great, just seeing Daredevil again. But I really wish they did like more so the public's reaction to Spider-Man. That's really like the one big thing I would change about the opening. Cause I kind of feel like they just shoehorn. You get it for two seconds. There, what else do you want? You know? Yeah. I mean, it was nice to see him again and you know, it's not even like his scene wasn't useful because it did have a purpose, but I just feel like they introduce him and then he's like, he's just gone. So I feel like they could have did more with Daredevil at the very least. But I think you make a great point there about like, you know, the, you know, how people, the public reaction to Spider-Man, because I think if there's one other like huge distinction to make between like the original trilogy and this trilogy is that New York doesn't exist in this Spider-Man trilogy in the way that it does in that original trilogy. And I think that's partly just because of the world that Marvel's built for itself at this point. But, you know, New York is and, mm-hmm. and Spider-Man's interactions with New Yorkers in that original. Well, I think it's really what you're trying defining. to say is New York City. New it's York really, City. We expect, yes, yeah, yes. we expect Spider-Man to be in the city. But, you know, in the John Watts films, he's mostly been in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if he wasn't in Brooklyn, this this version of Spider-Man would probably be hanging out in like White Plains or Montauk or something. And that's just not <laughs> that's not a place we want to be. Ricky, what do you want to change about this movie? Oh, Jesus Christ. I have a list. Okay. <laughs> So maybe I should go first. So maybe we yeah. should keep you to, to last. last. Yeah. So I'll, we'll, we'll go to David. David, what do you want to change about this movie? I, it's a, I was thinking about this throughout most of the, um, this, this podcast. And I honestly think the, as much as I'd love to see more of, as, as what you guys said, the, uh, seeing how the, the more of the reactions to, you know, to Peter Parker and spider and being Spider-Man, I think, Though I do love the Doctor Strange movies and I have no issue with magic, I felt that the exp- explanation of of how the spell just got so screwed up was a little bit too forced. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more to that. I understood why it happened, how it happened, but 
maybe just an extra line or two, something like that. Or Doctor, or even having a scene where Doctor Strange says, I'm going to do some, instead of just, I'm going to do it, just give me like, what I would like to have seen would have been like, give me about a day or, or a week or something to do this. And then through that week, you try, then that's when you see Spider-Man, um, you see Peter Parker trying to protect himself, his friends, and his family from, you know, the uh, the public and the mob. But it, a, it's that would have added probably another half hour to the movie, which could have been good or could have been bad. But I think that's the only small thing I would have preferred to see. That's a that's a big thing. That's adding an extra half an hour yeah. to the movie, though. Yeah. If you're if you're talking about what's, if you're talking about simply smaller things, no, it could be big or small. Yeah, that's, I think I think that's what it is. That's it. I just I just seen a like one or two more extra lines about that spell. Well, instead, you got one or two more hand circles of Benedict Cumberbatch on the green screen instead. So they literally hey, hand wave a lot of that away in this film <laughs> <I like laughs> by that. design. Um, so. Before you get into your your list of grievances, which I assume is going to involve yelling at cracked out children, still don't know. I I still think that you need to get tested after you've gone to this movie theater experience. I don't know what you people ingested in there. Um, I have a big, big, big issue with something across the trilogy of these films, and it's a very important point to what happens in No Way Home. But I think this trilogy absolutely fucked the character of Aunt May. I think they under she has been underserved across this entire trilogy. I think she is arguably even more important than Uncle Ben is to like the entire mythos of Spider-Man and who he is. And in these three films, she is reduced to some fucking hippie beatnik chick who doesn't care about what Peter Parker does and like runs a rich philanthropy. And like the film only these three films only justify her presence by killing her at the end of them. And literally like they just scratch out uncle Ben's name and put aunt May's in there. And I think not only do you waste one of the best female performers that you've had in this entire cinematic universe, but you undersell what I think is one of the most foundational characters to like really creating a successful and relatable Spider-Man character. And Preach, Randy, it's something Preach. that I cannot forgive this film for doing because it, it is the emotion that this film hinges the entire thing on is Aunt May dying and Spider-Man being like, oh shit, I have responsibility. We fucking did that story already. We've Peter, this Peter Parker has done this story. So why we needed to kill off Aunt May, who really hasn't done much in these three films, except come on screen every few scenes so we can go, oh, wow, she looks hot in that outfit from 40 years ago <laughs> and then disappear again. That's how we're going to send her off. That's how we're going to send off this trilogy. I think that's a really poor way to close us all out. Marissa Tomei is like a national treasure. She's Marissa amazing. Tomei is a god. Yeah, by the way, May Parker, uh, like in the comic book, she does, uh, she is like one of the founding or, or members or, or organizers of Feast, right? So, like, that's Yeah, but comic. Feast is an organization that, like Peter Parker, it, it mirrors his struggle to be financially stable and the fact that they are trying to do something for a class of people that nobody wants to help out, that Tony Stark's class of people is not going to want to help out. And the fact that, like, we never really see a lot of what her philanthropy does. It's just like, oh yeah, she the, the, she gets money somewhere and whatever. Just look at her, look at her bell bottoms, guys. 
And I feel like not only do you waste a fantastic performer, but it's, it cheapens what you're trying to do emotionally to close out this like meaningful trilogy of films that you have spent a half billion dollars making. I don't know if I agree with what you're saying. I, I mean, I wouldn't complain if we had more of her, but I think what we get of her, she's so good that she pretty much steals every single scene she's in. Um, I don't know how you have more of her without making the movie longer. And one of my problems with a lot of these movies these days is that they're really long. We could have had a whole arc about her and her philanthropy work. Like in these first two Spider-Man movies when Tony Stark's still around, she should have been a thorn in Tony Stark's side to say, fuck you. All you do is spend your money on your fancy suits and your big fucking buildings. I'm down here trying to help the people of this city. And or... like this is this is an entire arc you could build around her personifying the values of what Spider-Man is supposed to be, to be the neighborhood Spider-Man. That's like what this film is aiming to end us with, right? Aunt May is the perfect vector for that. She's the only vector for that. And this this movie says, you know what? Fuck it. Just kill her. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, my God. Look, Marissa, I love you. You know this. Yeah, Ricky, what's the one thing you want to change? Or the 40 things you want to change? We, we've already discussed the problem with magic. But look, magic, magic, whatever. If it doesn't make sense, who cares? It's a comic book movie. What I would change, okay, uh, which I think would actually make the movie better and not longer, is I don't think there was a need to have so many villains. And it's a common problem in most in a lot of superhero movies, Spider-Man 3. Like, we didn't really need the Sandman or Jamie Foxx's character because they don't really do much. Like, yeah, I mean, look, the, the lizard doesn't do anything. Like, I mean, the bottom line is when we get to Happy's, like, condo, apartment complex, whatever... It's Willem Dafoe's character, the, the goblin, who turns on Parker and he becomes the danger. And I I understand they're trying to set up this big, huge, like, action set piece at the end with Electro and blah, blah, blah. But it you didn't need so many villains because, honestly, they didn't really contribute much to the story and the growth of any one of the three Spider-Mans. And I think that, I, I, I don't know, like, I think that just having Toby and Andrew back and Willem Dafoe and Andrew, uh, Molina was enough because like those are the two best villains from the Raimi films and um, you know you got all three Spider-Man so I think that that would have allowed for more screen time for who a lot of us consider one of the MVPs Willem Dafoe and I don't think we're going to complain if we get more screen time with him also it could let us have more time with Aunt May which would make randy happier so just i would trade that instead villains. of a bunch of scenes of electro not caring if he's electro or not like that dude literally doesn't give a fuck if he's in this movie or not exactly exactly so like i would just remove them because i don't i think like what i'm trying to say here is like uh david i i don't disagree with what you're saying but your change like changes everything like you're, you're talking about kind of like a new movie my change is not really changing the skeleton the structure of the screenplay or the, or the movie it's just removing elements that are not really necessary but still having the spirit and the heart and what the movie is really about i think the fact that this is the movie that we have to throw all these things in and it doesn't matter how long they're in if they're in there then it's a, it adds that fan service it adds a and which I, and I, I, I'm torn about fan service. I really am. Uh, but I don't think that, that I don't think they're in the movie because of fan service. I think 
they have all of these villains because it's sort of like them trying to introduce the Sinister Six, even yeah. though there's only five. But <laughs> no, like... there was six. There was no, six. But he didn't six? join. Yeah, he just didn't join. He was stuck in um, on an island tiki bar trying to understand what was going on and then he then he just disappeared oh you're talking about what happens post credit sequence is that considered part of an actual movie these days yeah oh no yeah that's he yeah uh tom (laughs) tom hardy was technically the other six villain there but you know it's you see you see what i mean about how i really think that we should uh review these movies as actual episodes of tv shows but yeah anyway the point i'm trying to make here is i just think that that's a change which doesn't which would actually improve the movie and not really change it drastically to intervene rick i think having all these villains was actually a good idea because i think it helps raise the stakes because i feel like it'd be a little weird if it's like all these threats are coming into our world and then it's just like dr octopus and green goblin it's like okay it's two people this shouldn't be that big of a problem you know you're not wrong like i think there clearly is a bigger threat if there's more villains coming in so i don't know i just i just wanted to see more uh willem dafoe and uh and doc ock oh no i still agree with you there that we should have seen them more but i'm just saying that like i still feel like the villains needed to be there let's move to question four (laughs) the howard hawks test three great scenes no bad scenes do do we really does this really a debate just to clear it up just to clarify for listeners the howard hawks test is a movie needs to have three great scenes and no bad scenes to pass the test in order to be considered great at least according to howard hawks mark i think that there are, are elongated scenes in this movie i think some of the jokes may stretch a little bit but i don't think there's a bad scene in this movie Wait, so wait, Mark, do you think there's three great scenes, though? And I'm talking about great. Like, when we think of great, we're thinking of, like, iconic scenes. Like, think of Jaws when the shark jumps from the water. Think of the shiny oh, yeah. Jack I think, the axe I think there's, the Yeah, I think there's plenty of iconic scenes. From you have movie. to name the three great scenes. The three great okay. scenes. Okay, Andrew Garfield, number one, saving MJ. Okay. Spider-Man sitting on the rooftop watching the J. Jonah Jameson broadcast. Ooh, and then the death of Aunt May. De- okay, the Aunt May, okay. All right. David, do you agree? That it has, and if we're not gonna if we're not gonna count that middle one because he seemed a little off on that one, then yeah, I'll say totally when he off. tries to kill the goblin and then McGuire intervenes. Yeah, yeah, I have a problem with that because I think Peter Parker should have been able to stop himself from killing the goblin because that scene pretty much implies that Tom Holland's Peter Parker is actually capable of murder. But anyways, David, there, I don't think there was any bad scenes. There was some sort of cheesy ones like uh for example the uh, the everything with electra was like neat i had but i wasn't upset or bothered by them i don't think there's anything in this movie that if they've that i wish they would have taken out but but i do believe there are three great scenes i think that when all three when um the other two spider-men were talking to tom holland about losing and about their problems was was touching and heart and heart and that everybody goes through to go through it together that i i teared up with that i like the idea of peter parker arguing with dr strange about curing them all that we can save them all because of course dr strange is very picky of who he can can and can't save as we saw in the first one and having a just this naive teenager go and saying we have to be good we have to be kind kind of no, 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 is that um, belief? I thought I thought that was absolutely great, and I honestly, do we talking about the the whole fight in the Green Goblin? Uh, also, Aunt Aunt May talking to Spider Man because it, it it shows that she's not just a victim 
in a way. I liked how she was still kind, that she's still, still there, that she still did things in her speech and trying to fight on Go On, I felt was just moving. You guys really like your Aunt May in this movie. Uh, I think there's I like, a very specific reason for that. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I I have only seen this movie once, unfortunately, because Montreal shut down their movie theaters, which sucks. And I need I to only saw see it, it once, too. Oh, really? Okay, so I would like to see it again, too, because I kind of feel like there is a scene which I would call bad, but I can't really remember it right now. Maybe Doctor Strange erased it from my memory. <laughs> but I, I don't think it had three great scenes because... When I think back on this movie, the like the great scene, first of all, number one is when Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield show up. I like that's oh. that is an iconic scene. That's a scene that'll be talked about in memes and discussed and referenced in hundred years from now, right? Um, that is a great scene, and I do think the great scene also comes when Andrew Garfield, Spider Man, Peter Parker saves uh, MJ. I think those are the two great scenes. I don't think there's three great scenes. I know Aunt May dies and it's emotional, but I mean, it's no different than anybody else dying in any one of these movies. All right, moving on to the last question. Last question. Um, who is your favorite Spider-Man? And since I have the microphone, I am going to answer this first. I think after the first, if you would ask me this after the first in this new trilogy, I might've started leaning towards uh, Tom Holland because I think he captured something about a youthful energy in Spider-Man that, by their design, the other two Spider-Men didn't really have. And there was a sense of optimism with this, this Spider-Man that I don't, I don't know if this, this, this film trilogy ever really embraced the way I wish they would have to really distinguish itself. Um, so it's a lot to say that I think ultimately I am a, I am a, a, a bitch for nostalgia and Tobey Maguire is still always going to be my Spider-Man just because he was my first and you always remember your first. I also grew up with all with um not grew up but I grew up like mentioned the cartoons but for life for these live action ones, I started with uh, the the Tobey Maguire and I thought and I thought he did good, did a great job as Peter Parker and Andrew Garfield was a good was a great Spider Man with Peter uh, less so with Peter Parker but I think that it was Tom Holland it's still to me even though Tobey Maguire was my first I think Tom Holland really got the that sort of co- the combination of funny, fa- of failing, confident, and just uh, de- and pure determination that we need from Spider-Man, and I th- and so out of all of that, I really felt he did like he just killed it, and I would I would consider this new uh, this trilogy to be one of the uh, the better ones. So Randy chooses Toby. David chooses Tom. Mark, Mark, are you there? Well, yes. Uh, I just were, want. Uh... I'm gonna. I just want. I just want you to know, Mark. You're amazing. Okay, Mark. You are amazing. Say it. Say it. Say it. You, I'm amazing. You're, you're amazing, Mark. You're amazing. Uh, Mark, we love you. <laughs> if we were to count all Spider-Man media, oh wow! I would say, ready? I'd say Josh Keaton. Okay, but, but we're, since we're, we're not yeah. we're not talking about animated Spider-Man or Yuri Lowenthal, who does the game, fantastic, love him. I'm gonna go with Tom Holland. Oh, not going Andrew Garfield. I can't go with Andrew Garfield, and it's because I feel like Tom Holland has embodied Spider-Man the most. Like when I think Spider-Man in the future, I'm gonna think Tom Holland because Tom Holland he just has the youth. 
It's just the chemistry between the characters. Well, I also just think, think he has a he... built-in advantage being in more films than any other Spider-Man. Like we've seen no, him I as Spider-Man. I don't even more. think that because if you were to ask me when you know when the last movie came out, Far From Home, I would have maybe said Tobey Maguire. But just looking back on all these Spider-Man films, I just feel like Tom Holland captured the character the best. I. Oh, yeah. I'm actually going to say something I never thought I would ever say, but I do think Tom Holland is the better Spider-Man. I think um, I his background in gymnastics and in dance really make him a better Spider-Man because, you know, the guy can move and do his own stunts. And I think as Peter Parker, especially because he played the really younger version of Peter Parker in high school, whereas Tobey Maguire's character was a little bit older and Andrew Garfield too. Was older. Sorry? He's like in his early 20s or so, like mid-20s. He was 24 when he made Spider-Man, uh, Toby, the first one. But, but like, yeah, no, I mean, he delivers his lines better, the quips, the the funny banter, his chemistry with MJ, Zendaya, who, of course, they're dating in real life. I, I really do think Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man. Uh, I would love to see Tom Holland get an actual movie dedicated specific, specifically to his character and not worry so much about the mcu as a whole i think that would be kick-ass and that's what i would hope to see which is what i was kind of hoping this would be but i'm not complaining because we did get three spider-mans which was incredible um but yeah it's um it's it's really interesting talking about this movie i feel like uh it's like a i'm speaking to my therapist like i'm starting to process my feelings and and try to like figure out why i love this movie so much and yet i'm bothered by the fact that magic makes no sense <laughs> Like it's just like the ma- like it just doesn't make any sense to me. The end of the film, apart from the magic, the movie's great. Instead of thinking of the magic as connecting all of the universes together, let's just say that J.K. Simmons is the the thread that ties these two universes together as our J. Jonah Jameson in in both worlds. Greatest reporter that. ever. Greatest reporter ever. Give me more pictures of Spider Man. Give me more movies of Spider Man. Um, yeah, so I think we have said everything that we have to say about Spider-Man and No Way Home. Uh, we got more out of that conversation than even I thought we would have. So um, before Ricky, Ricky does have an announcement about Sorted Cinema that I'm going to join him for. But before we do that, I want to thank both of our co-hosts, um, our guests coming along with us this week. David, thank you for joining. Where can people find you on the internets? Um, the interwebs to stay with the theme. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm... I am on occasion. I will. I am still writing for uh, Tilden Goomba Stomp. Most fo- either sometimes focusing on uh, comic books or the co- or opinion pieces on comic book TV shows and movies. My Twitter is the real David underscore H. Yeah, I, I do put all the links inside the the actual post for each podcast. You can just go to sortedcinema.com to find the archive of every episode. There we go. Bangers. And Mark, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at the Markel. That, of course, is Mark with a C, Cal with a K. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm also the co-host for NXpress Nintendo, which is on GoombaStomp.com. You can also find us on all your favorite uh, streaming platforms, Spotify, Podbean, all that nonsense. Uh, if you want to look at my most recent writing for Marvel-related stuff, I have Hawkeye up on the website. I reviewed every single episode. Really love that show. And, uh, yeah, I have mostly games writing because I am the games editor. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us this week. Ricky, what's going on with Sorted Cinema? Talk to me. 
Okay, so basically in the new year, we're going to be extending Sorted Cinema uh, with, I believe, what we're going to call Sorted Cinema After Dark, in which Randy and I, and sometimes, not always, Simon and guest hosts are going to review stuff that we just don't normally have time to review on the normal show. For example, TV shows like Succession and The Witcher. Who knows? Uh, mostly focused on TV, but we will every now and every so often we might do like a Marvel movie or whatever. But yeah, basically Sorted Cinema is growing. Uh, it's all going to be on the same feed, so you won't be lost. We're basically uh, going to be producing more shows with more guest hosts and, and co-hosts and, and cover more TV and movies in 2022. And those episodes, those After Dark episodes, will also populate in the process and the, uh, the Mid-Season Replacements podcast feed as well. So two places that you can catch some more awesome stuff from all of us. Um, yeah. Um, with that... That is going to bring this week's Sorted Cinema to a close. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Sorted Cinema can be found everywhere you can find podcasts. It can be found, posted. Um, you post this on Tilt, correct? Basically, it all redirects to Goombastomp.com, like Tilt Magazine, Goombastomp.com, or the easiest way to find the podcast is SortedCinema.com. Bangers. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining. And Ricky, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Find Peter Parker! random guy. Hello? Um, I hope it's okay. I just came through this, so... Uh, just closed. You're Peter. Yeah. Peter Parker. Three. That's a magic number. Difficult preaching is posthumous pleasure. Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart. Something that stimulates the music in a measure. Measure in the music breaks in three parts. Casually see, but don't do like a soul. Cause seeing and doing are actions for monkeys. Doing hip hop hustle, no rock and roll. Unless your name's Brewster, cause Brewster's a punky. Parents let go cause it's magic in the air. Criticizing rap shows you're out of order. Stop looking, listen to the phrase and fed stairs. And don't get offended while Mace knows you don't your